Greetings. I'm Isha Das, the spiritual director of the Assisi Institute in Rochester, New York. And I'm pleased to have one of my favorite people for a interview today, Ryan Kurzak. Ryan has been practicing Kriya Yoga for over 20 years. He's also an ordained Kriya Yoga teacher. His teacher was Roy Eugene Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. Ryan is also the author of a number of books on Kriya Yoga and Ayurvedic astrology. And he has a wonderful podcast series on Kriya Yoga on his YouTube station. So, Ryan, it's wonderful to have you with us. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Sure. It's good to see you. So we're going to hit the ground running, okay? So if you have been practicing Kriya Yoga for over 20 years, it means you started out as a very young man practicing Kriya Yoga. Mm -hmm. So tell me what drew you into Kriya Yoga? What was the interest? You know, it's hard to say when I think back now, because my reasons for being interested in Kriya Yoga is a little different, it seems, than it was then. But um, I was always interested in philosophy and psychology and um, religion and things like that ever since I was probably about 13 years old. And uh, I went to school for uh, psychology and philosophy because I thought that through the study of psychology and the great philosophers, that surely someone must have figured out what this was all about. And um, as I went through school and as I studied these things, I realized that there was a lot of limitations to them. And I began looking a little more deeply into things like meditation and uh, even alternative healing. And I happened to meet a yoga teacher and she recommended that I read the book Autobiography of a Yogi. And so I did. And after I read the book, it seemed to me that what Yogananda was talking about was offering what I was looking for, you know, towards the end of my senior year in college, as I was doing my practicum on um, these different philosophers, what I noticed about them was they always seemed to like come to this point where they just said, well, I don't know, they could take it so far, but they couldn't take it all the way. And after I read Autobiography of a Yogi, it seemed to me that through the practice of meditation and Kriya Yoga, that somehow... I could go beyond the I don't know and kind of get these more existential answers that I was looking for. So that was my initial uh, interest. That's what kind of drew me towards Kriya Yoga. All right. So let me see if I can paraphrase what you said. You know, if it's not true to what you said, please feel free to jump in. That there was a, a yearning in you, a longing to um, uncover the deeper meaning of life, uh, to find uh, some level of self-realization, uh, some maybe a hunger to in some way experience the divine. Mm -hmm. And that Kriya Yoga, uh, as it was taught by Paramahansa Yogananda and Roy Eugene Davis, Mr. Davis, somehow opened that door for you. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, it, it made it more approachable or it made it more possible because I can even remember, I know we've talked about this personally when I was in 
uh, Sunday school when I was a Catholic. And I can remember getting kicked out of Sunday school <laughs> quite often when I was younger because they would go over these things in the Bible when I was, you know, second, third grade. And I would hear them talk about it. And I, I just, what do you mean? And I would ask these questions because I really wanted to understand it. And of course, they would say, get out of here. And they would kick me out and I'd spend the rest of the the, the, the session in the bathroom waiting for my parents to come pick me up. But yeah, it, 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 it kind of brought a, I don't want to use the word methodology or mechanism, but it, it provided a route to kind of get the answers that I was looking for. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say why I began with that question, because I think it's a relevant question. If you, I don't know if you've read any of the studies that have been out, uh, particularly the young, you know, people 40 and un, younger are not uh, drawn to traditional religion nearly as much as they once were. Yet that hunger for something beyond the material world, something beyond just rational thought, something transcendental, that hunger is still there. Yeah. And I know my own experience of practicing Kriya Yoga was uh not only did it give me a taste of that transcendental, the divine, but it also taught me how to stabilize that experience and to deepen it uh, in my day-to-day -day life. Now, when you answered that question at the beginning, you said it sort of changed for you now. So yeah. now why do you practice Kriya Yoga? Why not give up on it or, or move on to something else? That's, a, that's also a good question because, you know, over the years, having just a experience life happening. Uh, my perspective on life has changed. And I think whereas before I had this need where I thought if I could just figure it out, then things would make sense and things would be okay. Like that was kind of the, the drive, the mechanism behind it. And now, you know, I've kind of reflected over this the past five or so years, and I can't, help but to do it now. I, I don't know how to say it any different than that. I can't help but to do it, but also it is enjoyable. And what I mean by that is, whereas before I was driven by this need to figure something out or to understand something or to have something make sense, now it's kind of become, well, I don't really need to make sense of anything. It's, it's as if by practicing the meditation techniques or studying and applying the philosophy, there is this experience of or with spirit that I would much rather do that and experience that. And the, the time in meditation or the time teaching or the time studying, it feels like I am, I'm kind of caught up in that. And so it, it's more of a, sort of a shift in perspective from living like I used to trying to make the material world make sense to simply kind of feeling an inner spirit and being more content with that connection than any of this other stuff. Like it, it's like the whys and the other stuff doesn't matter as much as just simply doing what I can to maintain that connection. If that's <laughs> sensical. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it makes lots of sense. You know, I, and I put myself in the same category, and this will lead to a question I want to get down the road, but I want to also focus on this connectedness. But let me just say this, that I think for myself and a lot of us, we get into Kriya Yoga 
for any kind of meditation practice because we think it's going to be, make life easier, that it will be the end of all pain and sorrow. And yes, it makes it much easier to navigate through pain and sorrow, but it doesn't take it away. But to, to get to apply that to that whole sense of connectedness, that you start to connect to something larger than yourself, a spirit, a consciousness that is around you and also within you. And somehow that connectedness feeds something very essential in us. So I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. Can you describe as best as you can? It's ultimately, you know, ineffable and, and difficult to describe, but can you describe that connection and, and the fruit of that connection in your life? Uh, I can try. And it, it is something I, I've been thinking about uh, a little bit because um, well, I've been just working on some other projects and has brought it up. Um, it, it, when I think about um, Sri Yukteswar and his text, The Holy Science, um, it starts out by describing essentially like what truth or spirit or the Supreme Brahman or Supreme Spirit, what God is. And it's described as being, you know, essentially beyond concept or beyond form, beyond change. Uh, and then there's this description of, of how creation happens. And essentially, this is a very oversimplification, but creation happens when there is like a polarity created. There is a, a negative and a positive or a this and a that or a thus, uh, us and a them, um, or there is a me and then that which I see. And um, the whole process in his book, The Holy Science and the whole process of Kriya Yoga is to recognize that really everything is just that one consciousness. And in his book, he, he kind of says, you know, everything else is just a matter of inference only. And it took me a long time to, to get my mind around that. But this is why I like about the, the Kriya Yoga process is that when there are things that you can't get your mind around, like aspects of the philosophy that you can't quite understand conceptually, well, by engaging in the practice, you actually move into the experience so that it might not be able to be described by words, but you can feel it or you can appreciate it. And so um, the way I've kind of thought about describing this is it's like, you know, I remember being a, a teenager and having a, 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 when I finally got a, my first vehicle, and I was so invested in that car and that vehicle. And if it got a scratch, if anything happened to it, it was like it happened to me. It was as if, you know, what am I going to do? And why was that? Well, because I was young, I didn't have a whole lot of means, which means if something happened to this vehicle, well, I'm out of luck. And um, that was my experience. But as I got older and as I, I grew and, you know, my, my, my ability to provide for myself increased and I began to see, oh, a car is just a car. It's a tool that gets me from here to there. Then when something happened to the vehicle, um, I wasn't so disturbed. I might be a little irritated, but I know, you know, I can just get that scratch buffed out or I can just get that brake pad replaced. Um, and I, I gained greater sense of perspective about what, what my relationship to that vehicle was like. And so as the years have gone on, kind of what I have what I would describe as this kind of connection to source is more like I've become more aware 
of what my relationship to the world of light and dark and pleasure and pain, like en enough things happen. So I know we've had this conversation before. I don't know whether it was the Kriya Yoga or I don't know whether it was just living, but it's it's as if there, there becomes this experience where you see, oh, some days the mind is going to be dull and some days the mind is going to be inspired and some days there's going to be happiness and some days there's going to be frustration and some days there's going to be this and some days there's going to be that. Well, the more you pay attention to that, the more you start to recognize, oh, well, that's just what's happening. And it kind of gives this realization of being a witness or an observer or almost like a, a presence or consciousness that permeates all of this change. But the identification is more with the eternal in which all of that happens rather than all the stuff that's happening. Right. And yeah. And the, and the more that happens, um, in a sense, the more con inner contentment there is and the freer you are to explore sort of that, that inner timeless essence. So in a roundabout way, that's how I would probably explain that experience. All right. So let me kind of see, I'm going to, again, play with it in my words. And then I think we can even go deeper with this, particularly in terms of what Kriya Yoga is all about. You know, I make my living as a, as a psychotherapist and people come in to me and they say, well, I, I want to find myself. <laughs> because life is painful and difficult. And if I think if I can find myself, life will be less painful, less difficult. The problem with that is the self that they're trying to find is, is an image of themselves that they've internalized. It's something really from the outside world that they have uh, took in and have identified with. And like you were saying that the outside world is filled with, it's always gonna change. Your car, your first car is eventually gonna die and not work. And the more we identify with the outside world and those images, then the more we suffer and the less freedom we have. I'll put it this way, many, many years ago, uh, a wise monk said to me, he said, you could see all the therapists line them all up between Rochester, New York, and New York City, and see all of them for the next 100 years, and you're still not going to be any more at peace with yourself in that psychological sense than you are now, mm -hmm. that there is this larger consciousness that I like the way they talk about it in Hinduism, that the absolute is this field of beingness, consciousness, and bliss, Ananda, Satchitananda, and that as Roy Davis said, we are individual units of this cosmic consciousness, maybe a more Western way of saying this, we are made in the divine image. And it's only when we find our grounding and our sense of that bigger self that we are a part of, that like you said, we can start to stand back, look at things, observe things, and we're still gonna feel the effects at a certain level, but there's a deeper grounding with this, with this connectedness with consciousness itself, that that really is the essence of who we are. And it makes it much easier to navigate through um, life's challenges and struggles when we have that bigger identification. Does that make sense? We're on the same page? Yeah. And you know what you're describing about, uh, I guess, psychotherapy and, and the psychological aspect, um, 
I, I think that's an important part that, that's not often addressed where people think, well, if I'm just doing the Kriya practices or if I'm just doing my spiritual practice, I'm studying all this, well, then things should get better. And what I learned was through the discipline of spiritual practice, through the insights, through spiritual practice, I became very resilient. Uh, I, I was very able to manage things as they happened, but it was also the um, the exploration of psychological well-being that made it more like they talk about in the books. Yes. <laughs> you know, whereas once you, once you attend to your psychological well-being, it's like your spiritual practice makes a lot more sense because what most people are doing with their spiritual practice, and I did this too, is they're trying to manage all their psychological complexes. And so it's like they're using their spiritual practice to like keep it all under control, but not actively deal with it often. Yeah. And, and that that's great because, you know, as, as it was described to me, that's like you have a wound and uh, what your spiritual practice can do is it can put the bandaid on there. So you're not bleeding all over everybody else, but the wound is still there. And by engaging in psychological healing and well-being, you're actually healing that wound. And once that wound is healed, then your psychological practices don't have to have all their energy directed towards keeping you from bleeding all over everybody. Now, the spiritual practice um, allows you to really go deep into the subtlety of awareness. It's like you have the energy, you have the ability to go deeper into the 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 subtle awareness indicated by, by spiritual practice. And this is one of the reasons why um, the emphasis on the yamas and the niyamas, the emphasis on the 16 qualities in the Bhagavad Gita that, that lead to, to soul, uh, the divine destiny are so important because in, in my mind, if, if a person wants to know how psychologically healthy they are, they just need to ask themselves, well, how easy is it for me to practice truthfulness? How easy is it for me to practice harmlessness? Because if the more psychologically and spiritually healthy you are, the easier it is to be truthful because you're not afraid of the, the consequences because you know the value of truth. The easier it is to be harmless because you understand why you understand the reason to be harmless. And so, you know, I've just kind of, I've reflected upon that a lot recently. So I was kind of glad you brought that up about the psychological aspect of things. Well, uh, there, one of the Catholic mystics from the 16th century, St. John of the Cross, said, next to the knowledge of God, nothing is more important than the knowledge of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly if somebody has experienced deep trauma in their life, that if you don't deal with that trauma from an enlightened perspective, but if you don't deal with that trauma, it's going to hinder your own spiritual um, evolution and growth. And I like the word that you use, resilient. I know in my own life that I spent a lot of time, as you said, managing the wound. And as I got, it's like this paradox, as I got deeper into meditation, I felt the wounds. I felt the pain of those wounds. And I knew that without getting into having to analyze everything, it's not about fixing, but just being present to the wound and seeing how it operates, how it was operating in my life, but being present to it from a bigger perspective, it created a resiliency uh, that 
helped me to face the wound and bring the light of consciousness to the wound, which that actually helps to heal the wound. It's consciousness, that higher consciousness that heals the wound, but you got to feel it and face it. And then a resiliency to be able to rise above it without denying it all at the same time. Right. right. Um, does that make sense? It does. And it, it kind of reminds me of the way I, I've thought about, you know, if you're going through the world and, and you're practicing yoga or meditation, your spiritual practice, and, and, and what that is doing is it's allowing you to be functional. It's allowing you to be a positive influence, but mainly because it's, it's, it's protecting this wound. Well, then oftentimes what people do is they live from a fear of, of protecting that. And so they're not able to be as free as they could be. And I think what what a lot of people um, could could help could understand is that you know when you when you when you heal yourself using whatever method works for you, you know, psychological or otherwise, uh, and you engage in spiritual practice, what happens is you move from resiliency to almost like taking on an, an adventuring mentality, to where you have a strong adventurer who sees a challenge and doesn't say, well, I don't know, I need to protect my wound. I don't know if I can go into that. The, the, the adventurer mentality can say, oh, well, I might get hurt here, but you know what? I'll heal. And, and they're able to kind of go into it with this sense of, of optimism and there isn't fear holding them back. And they know that if something does go wrong, you know, that's just part of the adventure. They'll take some more time off. They'll get back with it. They'll move on. So you know, I, I like to kind of encourage people to think of this idea of the spiritual path as, as, as recognizing that you are an adventurer, adventurer in this world, and that you want to be as healthy and healed already as possible, so that you can really engage that spiritual adventure of your life, um, and know that, you know, as we experience difficult things happen, when those difficult things happen, so what? You might get knocked down for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You'll rest. You'll get better. You can get back up on that mountain you know? Um, so I, I think there's a lot, a lot there where, where it's good to start with this idea of resiliency. Absolutely. But even take it beyond that to recognize sort of this greater uh, adventure mentality, spiritually speaking. Yeah. See, I, I think this dovetails well with what you were saying. Again, I think for many people who get into Kriya Yoga or any kind of meditation practice, because you do experience deep peace. You do experience moments of profound bliss. And I think there's almost a, a temptation with that. And the goal is to sort of be in a meditative cave, literally or metaphorically, 24 hours a day, where you're just in that state of bliss. Well, that's not, it's not practical. It's not possible for 99.9999% of practitioners. And so I'm picking up now on that resiliency that once you have this connection to something greater than yourself, the divine God, this transcendental consciousness, and you know that you're part of that, again, it creates that resiliency. But then to, I, I really like what you said, to see life as an adventure, to embrace the adventure. In a sense, then what we're doing is we're bringing that bliss, that higher consciousness into our activity. Uh, sometimes, you know, I begin my day after my meditation and sometimes I direct it towards God. Sometimes it's just a question that I ask of myself, but what do I want to create today? What good goodness do I want to bring, not just to my life, to the world? 
what is the adventure that I'm being called to embrace, the hero's journey. And then the spirituality, again, goes beyond just resilience. And then you become this positive and creative force in your own life and in the lives of other people. Uh, one of the things I wrote on my Facebook today that, that uh, trying to remember exactly how I said it, but today, God, the universe gave you a great gift, your freedom of choice. And what do you want to create in the world today? What do you want to create in your life? How can you go from fear to faith, from hopeless, hopelessness to hope, from powerlessness to authentic power to create good? So yeah, I like it. Resiliency is one level, but then that takes us beyond that to the great adventure. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you'll appreciate this from an astrological standpoint. Um, you know, we have these different planets. We have Mars and we have Saturn, we have Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, and so on. And I guess if you look at them from an archetypal viewpoint, well, they're like aspects of our consciousness. Yes. And we have Jupiter, which is wisdom and seeing opportunities and growth and expansion. And that's that has its place. And we have Venus, which is the ability to appreciate um, nourishment and being sustained and um, being uh, uh, the growth of life. We have Mars, which is using your willpower, using your engineering capacity, like moving through obstacles, getting things done. We have Saturn, which is the ability to endure hardship and difficulty. And so, you know, from an astrological standpoint, ideally, what we want to do is cultivate all those archetypal aspects of ourselves, and they all relate to the chakras. So we, as we cultivate these qualities, like the yamas and niyamas, and we cultivate the strength of our chakras, we are cultivating these archetypes. But what happens is then, you know, as a spiritual being in this world, that you come up against an obstacle. What does that mean? You say, well, this is ruining my bliss. You know, I, 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 I don't like this. This isn't spiritual. Or do you say, well, I have this power of Mars. I have this divine power of engineering of figuring out what to do, how to move through that obstacle. How can I engage in that? And I kind of learned this a little from my sister, who's a, a semi-professional athlete. When she comes up against a opponent who's better than her, does she throw down her racket and say, oh, well, you know, this shouldn't be how it is. This is a spiritual world. Um, I shouldn't have to face this. Or does she say, you know what? I'm going to find a way to get better so that I can actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this, this, this opponent. Well, as an athlete, that's what she does. She, and that's what Mars does. Mars looks, sees a challenge and says, all right, how can I channel this divine will to, to meet it? How can I rise to it? Even if I get beat. You see, when you're an athlete and you're a good athlete, if you get beat, you don't say, oh, well, I give up. You say, well, that was a wonderful opponent and I learned a lot from it. So each, each aspect of our consciousness is a spiritual aspect of our consciousness. And as we tap into this idea of like the adventure aspect of things, we learn to, to not become uh, attached to that idea of, I am a yogi sitting in my cave all the time and nothing can touch me. Well, nothing is supposed to touch you internally, meaning the you, which is eternal and infinite, nothing ever touches that. But as long as you are working through a physical form and a personality and a mind and a body, you're going to have to deal with the adventure. So the whole point is to live from that eternal timeless essence while engaging the adventure and using your God-given 
soul powers or archetypal energies appropriately. You know, that's that's the idea. Well, you, you stimulated a couple of thoughts in me. One is, and I particularly see this with, with say, young men, that if I present a spiritual life to them as an adventure, tapping into the positive side of Mars, the positive side of their uh, of the positive warrior, I see them kind of come alive like, oh, yeah, because I don't want to just meditate 24 hours a day. I want to create. I want to live. I want, to, I want the adventure. So I think it, it's really important to present that aspect of the spiritual life. And if you think about both Paramahansa Yogananda and, and Mr. Davis, Yogananda came over to the United States at age 27, 28. English wasn't his first language. I mean, that was an adventure that challenged him to his core. And the same thing with Roy Eugene Davis, when he left Self-Realization Fellowship and began his own ministry as a Kriya Yoga teacher, the challenges that he faced in terms of being solo and doing that. But it's those very challenges that what I say to people they develop areas, they bring out potentials that are in our souls and they, and they bring them into actualization in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in each, this is a whole other thing I don't want to get into, but in each lifetime then I think we develop certain soul characteristics that we take into the next life. And then each lifetime we grow that soulfulness into our everyday life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even... You know, even in the Bhagavad Gita, that's why, you know, with the, the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program, we start studying the Gita because it's about a battle. And again, it's not yes. about a real battle. It's about yes. the energy that you need in order to really appreciate the spiritual path. And if you can understand what is required, that blueprint, which that adventure you have to go on, that resilience to have Krishna look at you and say, quit complaining. Yes. <laughs> Get up, yes. do your duty. And, and, and if you... If you can see that, then you see, this is the interesting part about it. Then the spiritual path becomes dynamically alive. Yes. Yes. And I I think part of the issue that, that I see with a lot of people is they really aren't looking for a dynamic experience. And again, I think the reason they're not looking for a dynamic experience is because they've been hurt. They've been traumatized. They don't feel safe. There's all this stuff going on that they can't even contemplate the amount of, of like the engagement that is required to really, to make it alive like Yogananda knew it was alive or make it alive like all these great yogis knew it was alive because their energy is so caught up in like uh, uh, just uh, 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 trying to preserve um, their, their inner sense of safety. And so they're looking for more a shell of safety than they are the adventure. And that is, again, kind of not to take us too far back. That is, again, why I think attending to really digging into one's psychological well-being and growing psychologically and developing that resilience however they can, that's what's going to allow them to really experience spirit and the spiritual practice as with dynamic aliveness, because then they're not just protecting their wounds. Then they're like, oh, here I am in this world of, of polarity, of 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 pleasure and pain. How am I going? How am I going to engage in this? Does this make sense? What I'm trying to say? Oh no, it, it makes it makes complete sense. Um, 
It's interesting. I had a conversation uh, with a guy in his late 30s who's been practicing Kriya Yoga. And what he shared with me was he realized now that he had a very traumatic childhood and that he avoided the truth being truthful completely with himself and with other people because his whole life was built around getting people to not abandon him, getting people to love him. And there's nothing wrong with being loved, but he realized that there were times he sold his soul or his integrity in order to be loved. And so he wasn't practicing the truth. Yeah. And so he's really embraced that whole notion, uh, as you mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, truthfulness. And even Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's interesting. He didn't say love will set you free. He said the truth will set you free. So he's really working hard on being truthful in, in a wise way. Every moment, of, you know, every moment of his life is what he said to me until it becomes second nature. The other thing, this is just a little footnote. You know, I like to integrate East and West in my Catholic background. You were talking about the planets. Uh, as archetypes. Thomas Aquinas said this, that each planet has its own angel, mm-hmm. uh, is inhabited by its own angel that has its own particular function. Mm-hmm. So, quote unquote, you know, metaphorically, the angel of Mars is the warrior, right. angel, etc. Yeah. Uh, just an interesting little, little connection. Yeah. So, tell me what your life is like as a spiritual teacher. And I, I wanna, I'm gonna give you some praise here. I think you are a wonderful representative of the Kriya lineage of Roy Eugene Davis. And I think you, I just think you have a, a wonderful ministry as a Kriya yoga teacher. Tell me what that's like for you, what that's done for you and how it challenges you. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so when you say what it's like for me, before I talk about that, um, from what viewpoint do you mean? <laughs> what what angle do you mean? Like, what do I do every day? Or <laughs> well, you can you can answer it on two levels. One is what do you do every day, but secondly, how does that? Like, I'll tell you something. Roy Eugene Davis said to me once. He ordained me to teach Kriya Yoga like he did you. He said to me, never forget, no matter what you're doing, that you are a spiritual teacher. Now, what he didn't mean was at every moment of your life, pontificate. What I think he did mean was hold that larger energy uh, of that you're here to be a servant, that you're here to help others. You're here to be a light in the darkness and hold that energy no matter what you're doing in any circumstance. And again, it's not about teaching and preaching. It's a, it's a consciousness that we hold. And I think about that often. And it, it it helps me to help other people, but it keeps me grounded too. So that would be an example for my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, on, on a more material level, I, I answer a lot of emails. <laughs> 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 I answer a lot of emails. I schedule a lot of things and um, I make a lot of recordings. Um, but what, what you're talking about there um, related to remember that you, that you are a teacher, you are a representative of, of this tradition. Um, you know, when I was ordained, I was ordained when I was 25 years old. And looking back, I was not ready to be ordained. Um, I, I had the capacity to teach 
meditation. I had the capacity to talk about the philosophy of uh, the yoga sutras and so on. I could share information and I felt like it was the right thing at the time. Um, but it wasn't until maybe uh, six or seven years ago when I feel I really understood kind of what you're just saying there um, about remembering that, that you are representing this tradition. And um, it occurred to me that what is most important is to do my best to abide in the states kind of that we've been talking about um, to, to follow the yamas and niyamas to the best of my ability to be as uh, genuine as possible, even when I can't do those things, you know, when I have difficulty to be, to be uh, clear about that, that way people can see, you know, this is a process that we, we continue throughout our lives. And um, I used to think if only I could write you know, I've written several books and I've done, I've released a lot of information. I would think if only I could write it just right so that when people read it, there was no question in their mind what was meant here. I had this idea that if I could sculpt information perfectly, that that's how, uh, that's how I would be of best service to other people. And as the years went on, I realized it is good to be able to be very clear with what you're saying and with your instruction. But I learned over the years that what was most important was uh, my ability to stay present with the people that were in my classes, with the students that I worked with, and to try to have as genuine a conversation with them as possible or, or being with them as possible, because it was as if that in itself was the most impactful thing. You know, rather than me trying to describe the stages of Samkhya philosophy and creation, you know, that never enlightened anybody. <laughs> and I'm not saying I enlightened anybody, but it never, that, that, that informational aspect never made the major difference. But being with them, meditating with them, doing my best to hold that space as clearly as possible. And when I couldn't hold that space again, being very transparent about that. It was that that I found seemed to make the biggest difference in my ability to have an effective teaching ministry. Um, and like I said, these kinds of realizations, these understandings didn't really dawn on me or become clear until about you know six or seven years ago. And so these days, what I try to do, I don't really try to do anything, but I try to be as transparent and um present as possible with people. Um, and that's, that's what I found to be the, the most effective uh, approach. I don't really know if I answered your question now. That I'm no, I know you answered it very well. I'll just add a, a personal piece to that. When I teach Kriya Yoga, I think sometimes people have the expectation that they're going to walk around 24 seven in some kind of, uh, you know, uh, otherworldly bliss. And what I say to them is that just being really present, awake, and aware is a spiritual state. It's, it's, it's a manifestation of the divine. It's a manifestation of cosmic consciousness. Just being 
alert and awake, which isn't analyzing, judging, and perseverating. It is just being really present in a qualitative sense as a witness. It's not just the dry psychological witnessing. It's, it's, a, it's a witnessing that comes from, it's an, it's an alert witnessing that's part of a larger field of awareness. But if somebody can nurture that in their day-to-day life, that's, that's a very big accomplishment. And then to your point, from that place of awakeness and alertness, if your intentions are noble, good, and positive, there's an intuitive flow that you know what to say, what not to say, you know how to react and how not to react. And when you can't be in that state of alertness and and wakefulness, then you know you're not there and that's a good time just to shut your mouth (laughs) and, you know, take a nap or meditate or exercise. So just even knowing when you're there or not there is a really good level of awareness. But it is just it is just being alert and awake in our everyday life. And that really is a higher state of consciousness. And so when other people interact with you at some, whether it's subtle or explicit, people feel that and, and experience that. And it has a positive impact on them. Right, right. And, and I think it, to add to that a little bit more, it's very important to to kind of clarify that, you know, you said that people have, it's like they have an idea that they're going to walk around in this state of bliss all the time. Well, they also, I have noticed sometimes have a image of what a spiritual person lives and looks like. And I think it's important to encourage, to let people know that they are a unique expression of this infinite consciousness. You know, personally, you're not going to find me talking about Mahashakti and all this stuff and like kind of getting into um, the religious uh, uh, expression that, that are common to some teachers because I'm not interested in it. Um, I, I take the practice of meditation, the philosophy very seriously. When I sit down and meditate, that's what I'm doing. When I'm studying Sanskrit or, or the, the holy science, that's what I'm doing. But it may be that later that evening... I'm going to take my electric guitar and I'm going to go play at an open mic in a bar in rural West Virginia, and I'm going to have a good time. And, and that is just as valid of an expression of the infinite consciousness as these other things. And so what I think a lot of people do is they create this image of what it means to be spiritual when really what it means to be spiritual is to be harmless, to be truthful, to be unattached, it doesn't mean you wear robes. It doesn't mean you take on names. It doesn't mean that you have to pretend that you love Kirtan music. I like Kirtan music, but I would much rather listen to some rock and roll. To me, that is, I it, it, it brings the sense of inspiration. And so, um, you know, ultimately, I think if people can begin to accept who they are and accept the things that bring them joy in this life and the things they don't like, as long as it's not conflicting with these principles of yoga, um, then they can be a more authentic yogi and they'll be more at peace with themselves. And, and that's something that um, w- it would be great if, if more people could, could find a way to embrace that. And, and it, it takes time, you know, for the first seven years of my, of my time as a Kriya Yogi, you know, before that, 
again, I still love playing rock and roll. I, I, I enjoyed all that kind of thing in, in music. And so what did I do as soon as I became a yogi? I didn't listen to any of the music that I loved my whole life for seven years. I didn't touch my guitar for five years because I thought I need to put these things away because they're just distractions. <clears throat> and given at that time, they were distractions. But what I learned was, oh, I can sit down and for an hour or two enjoy doing something I love. And that is just as much an expression of spirit as anything else. Now, if that activity got in the way of my meditation, if it got in the way of my understanding to, uh, it got in the way of my understanding of spiritual realities, if it prevented me from sleeping well, well, then I knew not to do it. But you, you see what I'm saying? This yeah. So let me, let me say it this way, because I, I think, again, you're making another incredibly important point. The goal is not the eradication of the personality. The goal is the divinizing, if I can say it that way, of the personality, that everybody's personality structure, even their egoic structure, is like a stained glass window. And it's it's somewhat unique from anybody else's personality structure. And the light of this greater consciousness, the divine consciousness, is meant to shine through the particularities of the stained glass window. So we're not all supposed to become these, these uh, bland cyborgs just merging into light and disappearing somehow, at least in, in this dimension. Yeah. So it, it, again, it's the, it's by keeping like truthfulness and the yamas and the yamas, no harm, but really letting the light shine through your unique personality. And a, a really light example of that is, you know, Swami Narayanananda, we call him our Italian Swami. And, uh, my mother was from Italy and we both have a love for marinara sauce. <laughs> we will joke with each other. I'm Swami, I'm going to send you marinara sauce. <laughs> please, he'll say, please do. And when he visits here once a year, one of my great joys is to make him marinara sauce. But not just for him. I do it for our family, our kids. It just brings me great joy. Yeah. So it's not like I have to stop doing those things. Right. Um, but and I also just, love your marinara sauce, by the way. Yeah, thank you. They, you know, I'm thinking of, of, of trying to find a way to commercialize it. We'll call it Swami's marinara sauce and, and get it in the stores. But that's another conversation, another time. I got to flirt more with Jupiter, I think, to make that yeah. happen. But, but it's, it's, it's just, it's, again, it's bringing that light into our humanity. And it really is the marriage of the divine and the human uh, the finite and the infinite that makes life enjoyable. Right. Well, and, and you, yeah, brought up Swam, you brought up Swami Nirvanananda and that, that thought occurred to me too. You know, think of, if we think of it this way, you know, Swami Nirvanananda is probably one of the best musicians I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, I appreciate how he plays. I appreciate how he sings. When I listen, you know, we've been together at the UCC Institute. When I listen to his, his kirtan, like, it is just as impactful and 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 present moment to me as other music that I listen to. And you know, if I tried to do what Swami Nirvanananda did, yeah. well, I also like chanting. If I tried to do that, my my being necessarily wouldn't be so fully into it because that's not necessarily the style that really 
makes it flow. But if I pick up an electric guitar and I get into that, for me, that allows me to access that state that I feel Swami Nirvanananda is, is, yes. is accessing. Yes. And, and on, on one level, it seems to me, and I don't know whether I'm just deluding myself or not, but I've thought to myself before, you know, when I go into these other environments, I remember one time we played in a biker bar and uh, <laughs> I was I was a little intimidated by the people around me, but I was part of the band. So I thought, well, they're going to leave me alone. <laughs> but I thought to myself, uh, you know, if if I'm in this environment and I'm able to access the state of consciousness that I can in meditation while I'm playing, wasn't that helping the environment a little bit, you know? Yes, yes. So I think people, if they thought about it a little bit more like that, again, not getting themselves in trouble, I don't recommend going to biker bars, <laughs> but you see, you see the idea. Yes. Again, just to put it in a, maybe in a larger philosophical context, in the context of reincarnation, I don't want to necessarily get into all of that today, but... Who I am in this life at the level of the personality is one and done. <laughs> right. this, is, this is a unique expression of this universal consciousness that will never quite come the same again. Therefore, rather than to demonize it, the goal is to, again, divinize it, to, to connect it to this larger consciousness, but to be the person that God created you to be, if I can say it that way, in this particular life. And to celebrate it and just let it be then a channel for truth, beauty, and goodness, but not to do away with it or to annihilate it. Right. And, there, and there's something right. about there's something about your Ryanness that the world needs. And that Kriya Yoga, the world of Kriya Yoga needs that no one else can quite bring it in the way that you bring it. Right. And that's that true. I yeah, and that, that's true for everybody, you know, yourself, yes. Swami Nirvanananda, Roy, Yogananda, but every person, you know, every person, I think that that's really the beauty of Kriya Yoga or any authentic spiritual path is if you really take it seriously, if you treat it as, as your deepest purpose, and for your hour, hour and a half every day, you get in there and you engage in the practices and you take it really seriously during that time. Well, it's an hour and a half every day. That's a lot of time. And as the years go on, that accumulates. And then as you start to recognize that you are this spirit working through this temporary form, well, then, like you said, it's like the personality, it becomes lighter. It becomes yes. easier to get along with, yes. but uh, it becomes, as you said, divinized. And so yes. then then you have the the ultimate, the 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 ultimate purpose of life being fulfilled, which is to recognize your source and, and, and presence of spirit, but you are also fulfilling the individual role, which is the reason that you were made up of the genes that you're made up of, the reason that you had the family you did, the reason that you were born into the environment that you were, the reason that you have the hobbies that you like, all of that becomes fulfilled as well on an individual level. And then it's kind of like a holistic experience. Yeah, absolutely. A, a little maybe kind of funny note here, going back to Swami Nirvanananda, he's always teasing me about my fire, my pitta, and that I have lots of pitta. And, well, you know, there's a message to his, there's a method to his madness and his teasing. And what he'll always say is, don't get rid of the pitta, the fire, just use it for good. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I think that's capturing the essence of what we're talking about.
So as, as we move, I, I think you and I could go on for hours about all this stuff. And I think this will, we'll have to have a part two of this conversation. But as we, as we move towards a conclusion, I want to tell people that you wrote, a, a, it's a new book. It's a guide to the practice of Kriya Yoga. And I think it's really wonderful. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. I want to give you an opportunity to give it a plug because I think anybody who is either practicing Kriya Yoga or is considering Kriya Yoga, your book is would be incredibly helpful. So do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah. So it's called An Essential Guide to Kriya Yoga Practice. And um, you know, usually when I've written books, it's taken me years. You know, the first book I wrote took me 10 years to write and to publish. And uh, this book in particular, it was written in, in two weeks. <laughs> I sat down and um, I began at eight in the morning, would be done at five at six at night. Um, and it all came out. It, it, there was a flow to it. And I, I was a little concerned by that because I thought I've never written a book this fast before. Um, but then when I stood back and, and looked at it and read it, it felt very important to me. And mainly that's because I think it outlines, or I feel that it outlines what is essential to make the most of your Kriya Yoga practice. Um, there is an emphasis on the yamas and niyamas. Again, we've discussed them, truthfulness, non-attachment, harmlessness, non-stealing, and so on. There's an emphasis on the qualities that lead to a divine destiny within the Bhagavad Gita, um, fearlessness, and the, the, there's the list. It's a, it's a big list, so I'm not gonna go into all of them here. But by cultivating those, those really create the foundation for effective Kriya Yoga practice. Because like we talked about, they allow you to become psychologically well, resilient and healthy so that you can go into the experience of your spiritual practice in a dynamic way. Um, there's also a description of how the Kriya techniques, the Kriya Pranayama works, meaning what is happening, how does it relate to uh, working out your karma when you practice this. There's descriptions of the techniques. Now, um, this book does have the techniques in there, and it is for um, people who have been initiated into the process. So these techniques are really more reminders for people who've gone through it or to give people a sense of what they will be doing once they're initiated. So it's a, it's a resource more than anything else um, with the idea of giving... Um, uh, routines and levels of practice. So it's, for me, it is, it is the essential guide that um, when people want to learn to practice Kriya Yoga or to meditate, I require them to look at that book now first. So they are prepared to know what will be required of them. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy with the book myself. No, it's, it's very good, uh, Ryan. And I, and I don't say that lightly. It's very, very good. Thank you. So how can people plug into your book? How can they plug into the podcast that you do? Mm -hmm. uh, why okay. don't you share that information with them? Sure. Uh, well, the book, An Essential Guide to Create Yoga Practice, is available on Amazon. Uh, right now, it's available as a, a paperback and a, a hardback. Um, my website is kriyayogaonline.com. And on that front page, you can find all the different ways to study through the two-year apprenticeship program to if you want to join the Patreon community and then the Kriya Yoga podcast, there's a link for that. But if you just Google, again, the Kriya Yoga podcast specifically, um, you'll find it on Apple, um, iTunes, and Spotify, and even Amazon Music and so on. Perfect, perfect. 
Uh, and I just want to tell people who are tuned in, if you like this podcast, give it a like. If you want to make a comment, please make a comment. And please pass on to your friends and your enemies, not only Ryan's podcast channel, but uh, Wrestling With God podcast channel. And Ryan, I, I just want to go ahead. Before we, before we forget, maybe we should tell people uh, that we're doing our annual uh, retreat yes. at the Athesi Institute this year. Why don't you... Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, Ishidas and Somin Ravana Nan and I, we've been working to do uh, an annual Kriya Yoga Path of Light retreat at the Assisi Institute. And if I recall, it's July 9th through 14th. Does that sound right? I think this, I, I think so. We don't have it up at our website yet, but we will at, at the first of the year. But I think it is July 9th through the 14th. It's a Monday through a Friday. Well, I'm, 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 I jumped the gun then because I'd put it on my website. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's, that's really fine. And it's, it's, it's okay. So we've got July 9th through July 10th through the 14th, 2023 at the Assisi Institute, but all the contact information is for uh, the Assisi Institute. So yeah, guess- we've already gotten over the weekend, a couple of people requesting rooms. So we have a limited number of rooms available Good. Uh, and we always fill up. And then there's plenty of uh, hotels in the area and a lot of, um, uh, not bed and breakfast, what do they call them? Airbnbs. Airbnbs, yes. So, uh, and I really have to say, I, I hope I say this with some level of humility, I, I, we've done it two years, last two summers, and they've been very good, very positive. So I would encourage anybody interested in Kriya Yoga and who are already practicing Kriya Yoga to please consider attending. They really are wonderful experiences. And it's good to be together with other people, meditating together, uh, listening together, speaking together. It, it has a very powerful impact. So Absolutely. I encourage as many people as possible to attend. Anything else, Ryan? No, that's all. <laughs> all right. Well, we will be talking soon. I appreciate this. Please give our love to Jasmine. And uh, you Same have a good you. holiday season. Thank you. Namaste. You, you do great work. You too. Namaste. Blessings. <laughs>